The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to Marshall Matters with me, Winston Marshall at The Spectator. Today I'm joined by Kelly J. Keane, or also known as Posey Parker. Kelly J. is a women's rights activist and campaigner, founder of Let Women Speak and Standing for Women, uh, both grassroots gender-critical organisations. And Kelly J. has just come back from a trip of New Zealand and Australia where footage came out seeing her completely attacked and doused in tomato soup soup by uh, radical trans activists. Kelly J, thank you so much for speaking with me today. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Considering the footage I've seen and which you've described you've described the events of the last week or so as you fearing for your life and that seems absolutely the case from the footage I've seen surrounded by literal baying mobs mm. actually that you've come to speak with me today I, I, I'm not quite sure how you have the the strength to do it so firstly thank you but h- how are you feeling I'm all right I'm yeah I don't know whether this is sort of some latent trauma is going to come along and and bite me soon but uh, no I'm okay thank mm-hmm. you I want to get into a bit of the prehistory, but maybe we start with this last week. So you're down under with uh, Let Women Speak. Mm-hmm. What was the purpose of, of the trip? What were you hoping to achieve? Why did you go to Australia and New Zealand? Well, to be really brief about what Let Women Speak is, it's basically we create a space in which women can come and speak. I mean, it's, it's quite simple. And women in their locality will come uh, and they will talk about local issues, but it will be basically centred around what transgenderism and transgender ideology is doing to women and their families and their children. Uh, And so we decided to go to Australia because I did a tour of America, made a film about it last year, and the women in Australia were like, please come. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I've known about cases and things happening in Australia for quite some time and New Zealand, so just booked my ticket, went and started organising these events. Nine were planned eight-ish we managed to do mm-hmm. and then uh, the violence came and mm-hmm. I had to flee. So what, what do you think about your uh, message was resonating with women in, in Australia and New Zealand? I mean you've described New Zealand as the worst place in the world for women. <laughs> that I've been. That you've been. And well, I certainly fly through Dubai on my way. <laughs> right so maybe it's changed since but uh, no. No, your, your experience would suggest that uh, that Certainly in the West, it seems like the worst place yeah. for women in the world. What is going on over there? Before you went there, what, what are the laws in Australia and in New Zealand? Where, where are the points of contention between women's rights and trans rights um, there specifically? Well, to be fair, it's the same the world over. Anywhere that this ideology has taken hold, it's, the, the way it operates is, is absolutely identical. So it will be changing the laws, it will be covert changing the laws, it's a top-down coercion of the population. 
So in Australia and New Zealand, um, in some places in Australia, you can lose custody of your children if you don't affirm their gender. The state will come and take them away. Um, in Australia and New Zealand, the state will, in schools, change your child's name, uh, pronouns, uh, and treat them as the opposite sex and won't even tell you. In Australia and in parts of New Zealand, they are talking about a baby having a sexuality. So it's, it's all the sort of Foucault, Kinsey, queer theory. And it's, it's really, like, just terrible. In, in some places in Australia, there is self-ID. And in New Zealand, that's happening too. That means any man, for any reason, can just call himself a woman and have access to all women's spaces and rights. Mm-hmm. We know that Laurel Hubbard competed in the Olympics as a female athlete. And he's a, you know, he's a, he's a man, not particularly fit-looking, in his 40s, competing against women at the peak of their fitness at, like, age 23 who've trained their whole lives in weightlifting. And the same in Australia, you have a man called Hannah Mousy who plays uh, Australian soccer, or Australian football, I think it's called, against tiny women. He's like six foot three and well-built. So there is just this, the same lies told here, although a lot worse, which are men can be women, women, uh, our speech is compelled. We're losing genuine female language when we talk about females. In Australia, New Zealand, Canada, America, the only woman allowed to call herself a woman or the only person allowed to call themselves a woman is actually a man. Mm -hmm. So it seems that there's two things. There's the infringement of women's rights Mm -hmm. as well as the issue of how children are being treated who identify differently. And with your trip, were you trying to address both those issues separately? Or was it was it more for the women's rights aspect? Well, look, it's called Let Women Speak. So it's really about women telling their own stories. It's Mm -hmm. not I I don't have an agenda. We don't have like, we're going to talk about this topic today. We don't even have an order of speakers. I don't know who's going to come and speak. Uh I mean, it's it's a it's a real genuine grassroots go along, say to women, this is the place that you can speak, what would you like to come uh-huh. and say? Uh-huh. Um, and for many women, when they're talking about the impact of this particular ideology on their lives, it will be their own lives, their own speech, and it will be their children. You know, mm-hmm. we had women who, uh, their daughters didn't talk at all about the possibility of not being girls, and then all of a sudden, within six months, they've gone from saying they're trans to having their their breasts removed. So mm. it's it's really serious. Yeah. So what are these organizations? Do you have microphones? Are you? Is it sort of group meetings outdoors? What What are the um, Let Women Speak events mm. like? What were they like? And so you were first. Was it Sydney, Brisbane, Perth? Melbourne and Tasmania in in Australia yeah, before Adelaide going to New Zealand. was in there somewhere. Adelaide, Adelaide as well. Adelaide was okay. just before Melbourne. Um, so what were those? Were these all different types of events? Or? No, they're all outside, and they're outside because too many venues will cancel us. So rather than allow a venue to cancel cancel us, we get permits. Uh, we don't need permits here so much, but in Australia you need a permit mm-hmm. uh, to speak. So often we try to do them outside of parliamentary houses, mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah, you just set up a microphone and an amp. So local women will organise. We'll advise them how to do it. They will organise marshals uh-huh. um, and they will organise the amp, the permits and the police presence. Uh-huh. And then we had, uh, you had to get public liability insurance in order to have these events. But they're, they're all outside. They're, okay. they're really, um, it's an open invitation for anyone, but we do have a rule that women speak first uh-huh. and then men can speak. Uh-huh, okay. And so they, there's a sort of crescendo through the events mm. culminating with uh, the incidents in, in New Zealand. And it seems like New Zealand was another level of, <laughs> of 
of hell, really. Yeah. And, and uh, there was the, the Tomato incident where trans extremist Eliana Rabashkin said, I want her to be full of blood because that's what she's advocating for. She's advocating for our genocide. Now, I've done a fair amount of research for this interview and I found no such advocation. No. Um, nothing of the sort, not even violence, let alone genocide. This seems very much like a peaceful protest that, mm-hmm. that your history of protesting has been. So what happened there in, in New Zealand? I mean, it, it seemed terrifying. Well, the Prime Minister had talked about me. The, there was a High Court case to try and stop my visa. Mm. I mean, I, I was on the news apparently loads before I even got there. Uh, which was great for my ego, but not so good for my safety. <laughs> um, and it was, yeah, they'd just been whipped up into this frenzy. And the Australian, uh, the New Zealand media, oh, well, both Australian and New Zealand media are pretty terrible. But New Zealand media, it wasn't just exaggerating, it was, it was bare-faced lies about me. What and sort so, of lies? Well, in one of my live streams, when I'm talking about the New Zealand Prime Minister trying to sort of talk about me not going to New Zealand and revoking my visa... I'm holding my zip on my piece of clothing and I do this as I'm moving my zip and they blur out my hand and say I'm giving a white power symbol whilst talking about the Prime Minister of New Zealand. Like, just nuts. So you you say this sort of strokes your ego, just that you're being talked about, but actually if the media aren't saying nice things, isn't that... The opposite isn't that frustrating? Doesn't that didn't that make yeah, you angry? Of course, it's frustrating. I mean, I, I am joking that I was that I was um, that my ego was uh, somewhat stroked by the Prime Minister of New Zealand talking about me. But what he what they inadvertently did they did two things. Number one, they whipped up a frenzy. But the other thing they did is they told everybody my name on a repeated like so many times that people were like, well, what is this woman? What does she stand for? Mm. Why, is, why are we stopping her from coming into the country? And then they look me up and then they agree with what I say and what mm-hmm. I stand for. So it had, um, you know, they did me many favours. I mean, obviously there was a little bit of a price to pay for that. But. Mm-hmm. It's a tactical thing with media and I've seen it happen to me where it not just applies to your Wikipedia, they come and they can manipulate everything that's on there. I've had that happen to me. It's a bombardment of media... Uh, pieces to sort of cloud out any semblance of the truth. Now, to anyone who might not know, what do you stand for? What are those things that actually, when people dig, they find, oh, this is what Posey Park is about. Actually, I agree with that. What are those things? What are the key things? That I don't want women to lose the rights that we fought for. So women-only spaces, uh, women, women, female language just used for women, children not being sterilised, uh, that we really have a think about whether or not anybody should transition but certainly anybody under the age of 25 I think uh, should find it very difficult to make such catastrophic medical decisions that harm their bodies that I would like to totally get rid of the GRA which is the Gender Recognition Act Mm -hmm. I don't think we should have legal fictions I think a truly tolerant society would actually say if John wants to be called Janet and he wants to live a a peaceful life and not bother anyone and not um, not go into women's spaces and force other people to be compelled to pretend they also see John as Janet, then, you know, that a tolerant society would allow that. Mm-hmm. But we have a state that basically says, if you don't go along with that, we will punish you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what I want to get rid of. There's, there's state involvement and the schools and the judiciary and all the other play, all the other arms of the state. I want them out of this out of women's rights. Mm-hmm. So back to New Zealand, Australia, but but with regard to the state, 
various politicians came out against you. Mm. You already mentioned the um, New Zealand Prime Minister, Chris Hipkins. Mm. I'm not quite sure. He seemed to be a little bit vague in, in commentary, saying that the, that the, the debate was unhelpful. Rather, it didn't seem to be a straight-out mm. criticism necessarily, no. although neither did it seem to be support. But there's been more explicit condemnation. Michael Wood, New Zealand's immigration minister, said, I would prefer if Parker never set foot in New Zealand. I find many of her views repugnant and I'm concerned by the way in which he courts some of the most vile people and groups around, including white supremacists. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ma- Marama Davidson, the New Zealand Green Party, was at one of your protests and hit by a motorcycle. No, They weren't. She, she wasn't? No, absolutely not. What happened there then? There were two protests that day. One was about the sexualisation of children. That was a really big protest. Lots of men. I didn't, I didn't know anything about it until after mm-hmm. my event. I don't really know what happened, but that the motorcyclist has absolutely nothing to do with me whatsoever. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm concerned, wasn't at my event. I certainly didn't see any men on motorbikes at my event. I just saw a frenzied mob. So that was nothing I to do say, with me. I actually don't think she's claimed that, it, that the motorcyclist was part of the mob. I think it just happened because it was so chaotic around yeah. that that was part of the atmosphere that, that happened. Although she was very much with the, the trans radical mm. activists. No, the guy, I, I think that, there is, a, there is a motorcycle group uh-huh. that went to that other rally uh-huh. and he's made some after-the-event claims that he sort of swung by to support me, but I'd never, I've, I've never heard of this man. I couldn't even tell you his name now, but I'd never heard of him. Uh, he claims that he asked to attend my uh, rally. Mm-hmm. He didn't ask me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so until the event, until everything was over and I was sat in police uh, protection, I had never heard of this man or the event until somebody in the press said, oh, how do you feel that somebody from your rally hit a woman with their motorbike? Well, it's nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. That's what actually, in your superb piece for The Spectator, uh, you describe being, having trans incels to the left of you and white supremacists to the right in a, in a sort of Jerry Rafferty sense, sort of <laughs> stuck in the middle. And that's another thing, because was it in Melbourne that there were some white supremacists mm-hmm. who came? Yeah. Now, again... Michael Woods claims that you caught such people, but I've had, in my research for this interview, I've I've had no such thing. Can you tell me the story behind the white supremacist group that were there? Yeah, I absolutely can. From my point of view, so we were in Parliament, uh, myself and Moira Deeming, the MP, and the security said, oh, there's some men in black with black masks. And we were like, oh, Antifa. Right, that's just the assumption we made because that's my experience of Antifa. And when we went out, we couldn't see those men because we were on steps and they were parallel to us. And there was also another rally about freedom. I'm assuming that might be about lockdowns and vaccines and stuff. I have no idea. And then there was some socialist workers type party that were also TRAs and there were some TRAs. And I'm, I'm told there was another group. There was apparently six groups. And so we were giving our talks. We didn't see those men. We didn't interact with those men until we saw them give a Nazi salute. And they were opposite us in front of the trans rights activists. Now, I'm not saying it was orchestrated. I'm just saying that if you wanted to discredit women, that would be a really good way to do it, to sort of imply that we were somehow connected to a group that we had no 
we had nothing to do with them. They had mm. nothing to do with me. Uh, the last I heard, people that supported uh, Nazi ideology weren't great fans of women's rights. You know, so <laughs> it's, it's preposterous that they came mm -hmm. to have anything to do with us. Plus, they had no markation on them. There was not a single Nazi symbol amongst any of them. Uh, the only thing you knew is the Nazi salute. I, it just feels, just feels really sinister and orchestrated. And I don't know who would do it. Uh, I don't know who have, would have the power to do it. Certainly wasn't the police that they were on the de that were there on the day, but it might have been someone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You mentioned there Moira Deeming. So she was a member of the Liberals in Victoria mm -hmm. Party, and she's been suspended for her association with you. Did uh -huh. you know that? Yeah. yeah? What, how, how do you feel about that? Have you been in contact with her since? Um, I have been in contact, and I'm disgusted. But I'm really hopeful in these sort of situations where somebody is publicly flogged and uh, for something that is most people would think was ludicrous i'm hoping that someone with her resilience and resolve and good moral standing i'm hoping that this makes her the leader the next leader of that party mm. because i think people will see a leader and a woman with conviction who is willing to stand up for what she believed in mm -hmm. uh, which is severely lacking in in australian politics mm -hmm. so we've talked already about how the media just swarmed around this and, and besmirching you, how politicians came against you. We're seeing in, in this country how at the ballot box, when it comes to voting, actually, if you the, the, the radical trans agenda is very unpopular, as we mm -hmm. saw with Nicola Sturgeon. Do you have a sense in Australia and New Zealand whether it's similar, whether normal people actually see the radical side and think maybe they've gone too far, or do, do they support the, the radical movement? I don't think any normal person supports massive blokes playing against women in sport or their daughters not being able to use a female-only space without seeing an adult's penis. I don't, you know, I, I think it's it's foolish to think that people are going along with it. People, people have no idea. Uh, and I think that the narrative in Australia is totally uh, sewn up on their, like their ABC, their state broadcaster, doesn't cover this at all. Mm. just covers it from a vulnerable or oh, let's trans the kids point of view you know and, and I'm just I guess it's really easy to convince a population I didn't realize I think we look back at Germany in the 1930s and we all ask or I certainly used to ask myself how do you get how do you coerce people to do such evil things and I don't think it's that hard mm. you just need the right amount of fear the a, a decent level of propaganda mm -hmm. and um, punishment for questioning the narrative yeah yeah. What, uh, you mentioned there Antifa. What, when you said you had normal experiences with Antifa, what, is it, what has that been? Oh, they come to all of our events now. Mm -hmm. so, Around uh, the world? Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, in America. I couldn't go to Portland when I... So I did a film of dates throughout America and I couldn't, I couldn't go to Portland because they were really serious, credible threats on mm. my life. But, yeah, they come to all the events and they're, in, they're, they're properly insane. And I don't mean that as like, oh, they're just so horrible. I mean, they Mental have psychotic, yeah. yeah, they look psychotic. They make noises. Uh, a lot of the, the girls look really quite disturbed. 
And it's like something out of a movie. Sometimes I, I, I'm, I had a moment in Chicago, and I'm not religious at all. Um, I've, I've never had any belief system uh, around God or anything. And I was, I was in the middle of this mob in Chicago, and they're all close, really close, and they're allowed to scream in your ear. As long as they don't touch a tiny speck of your skin, they're allowed to be right up in your face. And just in this moment, everything slowed really slowed and went muffled and I'm just looking around and it is like something out of a movie and I just I just thought oh I've really got to do this I just I I just have to do this you know there's I don't know anyone else that's doing this and it's it just has to be done but that's that's with the high frenzy of Antifa and they'll just they'll make noises like Like, just but high pitch yeah terrible um, so that that was again. Th- those are part of Let Women Speak yes. tours. Maybe you could give me a bit of the history of Let Women Speak. It started as a, a speaker's corner in in Hyde yeah. Park. Is that right? Yeah. So um, on International Women's Day, a couple of women, uh, Katie Worley and uh, Venice Allen, they they said, "Oh, why don't we go and do a speaker's corner?" Because we'd started doing stuff in halls and we were beginning to get cancelled and it was difficult. So we thought. For International Women's Day, we'll go to Speaker's Corner. That might have been like 2019. Mm-hmm. And then it was so well attended and brilliant. And I said, well, I'm going to come and do this every month. Let's mm-hmm. do it the last Sunday of every month. And then obviously we had lockdown. But uh, we did them right up until we weren't allowed. And then lots of women all over the country, because I also do something called Turf Talk Tuesday, which is a phone-in on my channel. And I have a quite a lively YouTube channel. And they, was, they were like, can you come here and can you come to different parts of the country? You can't make it to London. So the first one we did was the first Speaker's Corner out of London, which was Nottingham. And trans rights activists turned up and started shouting. And just organically, women started shouting, let women speak, let women speak. Mm. And it was just such a lovely... And it's not really asking permission. It's, it's about creating the environment in which women can speak so it's just gone from there and so now it's called let women speak it's a rallying cry it's frequently trending on Mm. twitter and i'm yeah i'm really proud of it but it's it's the essence of the whole let women speak event and campaign is that it's it's all women-led and it's all just beautifully organic and coincidental it's not Mm. contrived which i think why it comes across as sincere and honest Mm, okay. And before Let Women Speak, you came to prominence with the billboard mm-hmm. at the Labour Party conference in 2018, which I think just wrote the definition of a woman, which is an adult human female. Yeah. What happened before then that le- led up to the, the billboard? Because I'm kind of curious to understand how, how your journey has come to this point where you're like a lightning rod mm. on this issue. And it's an international, it's a global issue the dividing line between the infringement of trans rights and women's rights on each other and, and that debate and that and that very contentious uh, issue of our times. And I, I want to understand how you've got there. And, and and so what happened leading up to the billboard? Where does Posey Parker come okay. from? Okay, so I was happily on the left. I had no idea that I was in some echo chamber. I genuinely thought that after the coalition between the Lib Dems and the Conservatives that we would vote... <laughs> that we would vote in a Labour government. I thought that was coming. And then David Cameron was voted out in outright. I started joining lefty women groups on Facebook and they were just became heavily populated with what I would kindly call men in dresses. So this would be late transitioning men who basically 10 years ago we would have called transvestites. Mm. And then the language was changing and I just said one day to one 
of these men. Do you really identify as a woman? Well, all hell broke loose. And it wasn't just him. The women were so, defended him so much. Like, it, it was vitriolic. It was so aggressive. And I was told, this is something you can't talk about. And I was like, oh, okay, well, this is what I want to talk about then because mm. this is nuts. And I was a stay-at-home mother. I've got four children, happily married. Had well, actually, no... it started as a speech issue rather yeah. than, than a, a rights issue. It Absolutely. Was, it was just a free speech. Well, I had no idea. So in 2016, I wrote a letter to, later to sort of called Grieving the Left, and it was all about when this started, when I first peaked, and peak trans is when you understand what's going on. It's a bit like red pill. And when I peaked, I thought, well, they won't do this to kids. And then I find out they're doing it to mm. children. I'm like, well, it won't be in sport. And then I find out it's in sport. Well, they won't use the word woman for themselves. And then, you know, and every kind of barrier I thought would not be broken was completely obliterated by this, this movement, this cult. And so I, I was just in secret little groups. And then I was interviewed under caution in early 2018 for six tweets. So then that put my name out there. What were the tweets? Oh, I'm, I misgendered a trans rights activist in America who said that prostitution was a rite of passage for uh, teenage trans girls. I said that it was wrong to castrate a 16-year-old boy and take him to Thailand, which is what the CEO of Mermaids had done. Susie Green. Yeah. Huh. So she reported me to the police. And they've, they got my contact details from Twitter at a time when Jihadi John <laughs> was protected. You know, it was so... It was like next level. And I was thinking, well, this will be great. I'll go along. I'll have an interview under caution. I got a really wonderful uh, solicitor. I'll go along and maybe we'll go to court and, and everyone will go, oh, goodness, that's such a terrible thing. Mm. We must look at this issue. <laughs> and no, it didn't happen at all. Uh-huh. And everyone's just carried on. So then I got really admonished and accused of terrible things vaguely by a left-wing uh, women's group uh, who, who would call themselves gender critical. What was the name of the group? Women's Place UK. So they put a statement out that's still out there for everybody to see and it's uh, nasty and it implies that I'm racist, um, but it doesn't actually make any substantial uh, allegations, so it's not actionable, but it's, you know, it creates a bad environment. So I sort of went away a little bit, and I was like, well, I still want to do something, but I can't do it with my name because I've been so badly defamed. So I just came up with a billboard, and I, I sold T-shirts with the dictionary definition of the word woman and stickers, to raise the money, which was only £700, and I put a billboard up. Mm-hmm. So that was it. You put the billboard up outside the Labour Party conference. Why did you choose the Labour Party uh, when it was the Tories who were in government? Well, because that just is good timing, and we could find a billboard. So, you know, you just look at different places, and it didn't really matter where the billboard was, to be honest. It was good that it was in the same city as the Labour Party conference. It just needed some trans activists to, to make a fuss. And I had no idea that the billboard company would remove it and then put me on TV to mm-hmm. talk about it. So in the time since, in the UK, there's been cause for celebration, I think, somewhat. Maybe that's uh. a little bit over the top, but particularly with the ordered closing of GIDS at Tavistock. Yeah. Do you feel like your message is finally having an impact? 
Well, look, Fairness Allen and I did a talk. So Standing for Women did a talk at the House of Lords where we did connect some of those doctors to government um, and the House of Lords. And we really did instigate some things with that talk. We called it First Do No Harm. But I'm sceptical, actually, whether the closing of the Tavistock is as much of a win as, as I might like it to be, because I think it might go out to the regions now. And that could be two things. Either one, that could be that everything is done covertly and we don't really, uh, we all think we've won and we don't, and we look away. Or it could be that when you look at regional budgets, that when doctors are dealing with regional budgets, they might not want to spend quite so much money on this. Mm-hmm. But the Chelsea and Westminster is about to open a wing specifically for sort of phalloplasty type surgeries, which is when you take all the flesh of a forearm, you fashion it into a tube, and that's supposed to be a penis. It's a it's got a really extraordinarily high failure rate because oh I don't know. It's quite difficult to actually make a pe- a penis out of an arm. Uh, they don't work. I don't have one, but I understand they're a little more complicated uh, than that. So um, one would think <laughs> it's yeah. quite devastating. And they're hoping to do about two hundred and fifty of these surgeries. And the, the money spent on it is, is vast. So Are I, those private surgeries? It wouldn't be NHS funded? No, this is an NHS hospital. This is NHS hospital. Okay. As wow. I understand it, we got that through. There's a freedom of information by one of the women that called into Turf Talk, and she's been doing, she's in the NHS, and she's been doing some research on it, and it's, it's a bit horrifying. Well, that's disappointing to hear, because one of the things that's made my blood boil on this issue, particularly having just read Hannah Barnes's book, Time to Think, about the, the history of Tavistock and Gids, is that our taxes have gone towards paying for the puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones mm. of all of these children who are mutilated for life, not to even begin on, on what's going on in schools and, and, and the confusion by not being able to define man and woman, but uh, that we've been paying for them and that they will be infertile and, and this is irreversible damage. It was a big relief for me to hear that, that, that the Tavistock is, is closed, but maybe I should be more alert that it's, it's not the end of that story. Well, I do worry if Labour get in in the next election, what will happen to all that anyway? because they do seem to be quite captured. Explain. Well, they've just put something out, you know, that they're going to change the Gender Recognition Act. They're going to make it more... Do they say how exactly? No, but I can only imagine it's got to be self-ID, right? Hmm. It's got to be easier to identify. I mean, they've taken gender dysphoria off the table. You don't even need that anymore if you get self-ID. Not that I even think that's a good enough reason to create illegal fiction, But uh, also they're going to ban conversion therapy. Now, conversion therapy is all sorts of things for different people. And, uh, of course, abusive practices should have some sort of restriction and ban on them, uh, any abusive practices. But saying to a child that you actually aren't a boy when you are a girl Mm. and saying to them that, you know, just like, you know, this can be perfectly normal or Mm. you're... You're sucked into a cult or advising parents to get their kids offline. Like those sort of, that is not conversion therapy. That is, that is responsible therapy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they will ban it. Well, it seems like what's actually been happening is that, um, and again, this is, Hannah Barnes goes into this in her book, but we're converting, we, the state has been converting gay kids mm. into becoming trans kids. I mean, mm. if, if that isn't conversion therapy, what exactly is conversion therapy? Absolutely. And there's, it's called the Memorandum of Understanding for Psychotherapists, and they're basically not allowed to do anything other than affirm. I mean, it's, 
that's just bonkers to have other than a what sorry a firm someone uh, like, right, so okay, if sorry. a child comes and says i'm a boy uh-huh. they they're not allowed to say that they're not mm-hmm. and that's been quite some time that sort of capture and then you've got autism societies that are captured mm-hmm. and promoting it when we know that autistic children are far more susceptible to this sort of black and white ideology or the fact that 90% of them are likely to be bullied in school and ostracized and not have any friends, and then they find comfort mm-hmm. and a, a, a sort of a one-stop shop solution to their distress. And it isn't. It's just a different sort of distress. And a high percentage of them have experienced trauma mm-hmm. uh, beforehand. A high percentage of, of them, as I've already said, are, are just gay kids, autistic yeah. kids, as you mentioned. I, one of the phenomenon there is that the demographic on, on the children's side has been that it has gone from being a minority uh, female to majority female identifying as trans or non-gender conforming whatever the right terminology is there and as a woman's rights activist I I wondered what why you think that is what's going on there and what can be done about that well I think it possibly this is just from just from a common sense point of view I think it probably used to be really effeminate boys and it's very difficult to be an effeminate boy. And the CEO of Mermaids, for example, she gave a talk and she talked about... Still Susie Green. Susie Green. Uh-huh. So she talked about her son having Barbies and stuff. And the dad came home one day when he was three or four and said, no son of mine will play with dolls and threw them all out. Now, that's for girls. I'm sure he must have said that's for girls. So then that little boy said that he was a girl because he just wanted to play with dolls. Mm. So I think that is probably a, quite a common root for those little boys into this Mm -hmm. now what you've got is the social contagion uh, which is well documented for girls you know they'll i would imagine uh, girls who start starving themselves and anorexia still is the biggest killer of teenage girls so i understand in this country so you've got the social contagion of that girls turn all of their distress and trauma into self-loathing so it'll be eating disorders other forms of body dysmorphia cutting all of these things actually influence girls and now it's a it's a cool thing to be I mean you've got girls on TikTok uh, laughing joking injecting testosterone into their thighs or showing their uh, their euphoria after having their breasts removed Mm -hmm. I mean if that isn't kind of self-harm times a million and getting medical surgery in order to further your self-harm and self-loathing I don't know what is so what can we do about it I think we just have to put laws into place that you you can't do it, uh, that surgeons can't do it, that doctors can't do it. I think we take the state out of it. Like nobody said about anorexia, hey, do you know what? Yeah, you are fat. Let's help. Let's give you a, a gastric band and help you starve yourself to death. A medical community wouldn't have done that. And yet they are. There's a, there's a chap in uh, Harley Street, I believe he is, he does gender-affirming surgeries or he mutilates distressed girls. And he's a, just a regular plastic surgeon. And he's got sort of oil paintings of himself doing breast surgery, like slicing into breasts. There's something deeply sinister and misogynist about saying to girls, do you know what, if you're not, ha- if you're not finding your way about this world that great, why don't you just opt out? I thought about that a bit in that it's very hard to put yourself in the mind. It's hard enough to put yourself in the mind of a regular surgeon because to, that person has to detach themselves for doing what is largely important work, but grueling, like cutting up bodies. Yeah. But I cannot for the life of me put myself in the mind of a surgeon who cuts off the genitalia 
of a, another human being, let alone a young human being, I don't know what it, what it would take to actually allow themselves to do that. What psycholog- psychologically, how on earth can they can they be not just taking the flesh off the arm to create the penis, uh, the so-called penis, but actually cutting away at the genitalia mm. itself? Like that, it, it's just the most. Uh, how is that? I, I can't bring myself to. Well, uh, I'd agree get with there. you. I'd agree with you. Um, Look, in America and private surgeons here, I, I don't think it's how can they, I think it's how much. Mm. How much will uh, let them sell their souls. But these, a lot of these plastic surgeons here are people that have been, you know, augmenting women's breasts to sort of uh, devastating proportions or any proportion at all. Like, they're in an industry where they say, I'll take your insecurity and I'll, I'll sell you a solution for a mm. long time. Mm-hmm. So I think those people are already in the business of of something pretty horrifying, this is just next level, isn't it? This mm-hmm. is, I'm not a religious woman, but it, it seems to me like it's relatively demonic. Mm. On a slightly more positive note, you've had the support of some heroes, uh, most famously J.K. Rowling, mm-hmm. and that must be very encouraging. Uh, she came out speaking of what she saw happening to you in New Zealand, women have become used, used to lies, threats of violence, and outright denial of reality. But if you imagine anyone feels defeated, think again. Your men's rights activists showed the world exactly who they are. Mm. It must be very encouraging to have someone like her yeah, supporting she's, you. Yeah, I mean, she's the reason that two of my sons actually bothered to pick up a book at all. <laughs> mm. You know, not just because her stories are great, just just the fact of somebody who doesn't read to somebody that reads. So I'm indebted to her already. But yes, her her very well-crafted tweets are always welcome. Mm-hmm. Well, she's another person who's, um, like yourself, been besmirched and called everything under the mm. sun. I mean, uh, and, and there's a woman who's generated billions for the British economy, gives billions, well, maybe certainly tens of millions to, in, in tax. And then it seems like what money she has left seems to be going towards charity. I mean, it's just incredible yeah. that this great, really great woman and great British person has been treated as, as she has. And it's just, you're another person in, in, in that category where you're doing great things and they're, and they're trying to come at you. And uh, one of the more prominent people coming at you was was the singer and uh, activist Billy Bragg, yeah. who's sort of flung a, a torrent of, of tweets at you. Have you been engaging in his um, correspondences? I have, I have a little bit because it's just, he's not the only lefty misogynist who um, has targeted me, but he does seem rather obsessed. I mean, I have... I've reminded him that I am married, yeah. I ha- happily married, and all of his attention is is, uh, is unwelcome. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, that's very a nice way uh, of dealing <laughs> with it. Uh, let's hope he gets the message. You are starting the party of women. Yes, I am. So this is you're going to run against Sir Keir Starmer at the next election. Yes, I am. What can you tell us? Well, look. We have to force these politicians to talk about it. They have to take a stance and they have to either look like a fool and say that they don't know what a woman is or they'll have to admit that they know what one is and mm. then we get this conversation like, let's do it. Uh, it's been far too long that people have been a little bit too polite. So when a politician evades the question, they're not pressed. It's like everyone's a little bit frightened of it and I'm not. So I thought, let's run against Keir Starmer. Let's encourage women all over the country 
to run for PCC uh, or local councils or MPs, like, well, however they feel they can they can get their foot in the door to represent women mm-hmm. um, or represent themselves and ask the right questions in places where decisions are made, where as yet, when people talked about men going into women's prisons, it seems like nobody said, what about the women? And mm. so we just want people in those rooms to say, what about the women? It also means that they'll have to put billboards up because at the moment nobody will. Mm-hmm. So I can return to my first port of call, which is uh, to, to just put these billboards <laughs> up and provoke conversation for everybody. Uh-huh. That's what it's about. I don't think I'm going to win, but I will win in so much as I will, I will break the silence. Mm-hmm. You've described that you felt let down by, by Labour, and, and I assume this is why you're running against in Keir Starmer rather than Rishi Sunak. Yeah. How they let you down? Well, I was on the left. I had no idea. Maybe I was just totally ignorant and naive, but I had no idea how much they hated women. Mm. But so many of the, the Labour politicians, Lisa Nandy was asked whether or not a child rapist should be in prison with women. She said yes. When was that? This was, uh, it's on my channel, actually. A friend of mine, Dr. Julia Long, went to a Labour Party hustings, I think it must have been, and she was directly asked uh. Uh, about this specific prisoner, whether he uh. should be moved to a women's prison estate. And she sort of said yes. And they talk about respecting trans identities. And so many of the, like Labour have put that thing out today about trans day of visibility. It's just... I just didn't realise how much they hated us. I really thought they were on the side of women, which is more for me. Do you take, so when you see like trans day of visibility or the trans flag, do you really, you interpret that as just anti-woman? You don't interpret that as, you know, you say, oh, I didn't realise how much they hate women. When you, you see that flag, is that not a bad faith interpretation of what of what they're trying to do? Because they would say, look, there's, there's trans rights and, and there's no denying that there are kids with gender dysphoria. Whether they're trans, that's again, that's, there's mm. a debate around that. Do, do you really see that flag as an affront? Yes. Yeah. Because I don't know what trans rights are, except the right for men to use women's spaces. I don't think it's true uh, that trans people that call themselves trans don't have access to healthcare. They might not have access to extortionate healthcare, which uh, we don't feel is life saving, but then some women with stage four breast cancer don't have access to the healthcare that they want. I would say that those women are far more important. But if you ask somebody what are trans rights, it really is. Women are important or the, the issue that they're, they're... The women are important. I, d- I don't think it's important for us to endorse falsehoods. We have a duty to people that are confused to help them understand that they are their bodies. You know, we don't get a choice. We don't get to detach ourselves from our bodies. We mm. are our bodies. So... Um, I think it would be much more fruitful to help people accept the body they're in. That's what we do to people with profound disabilities. We mm. don't, you know, we we help and encourage people with, uh, I knew a woman who did a PhD research project on children with facial deformities. And we just help those children accept that this is the body that they're born in. And, you know, that that would be a much more... Uh, fruitful, healthy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, back to then the your running in the election. Uh, what um, what do you want from your supporters? How can people get behind you and, and in touch if they wanted to support you on this? Um, uh... So I have a, a website called Standing for Women, and you can contact us with a party of women in the subject. Uh, we are. I've I've read. We're registering the party as we speak. There's loads of legal stuff to do. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but we will be announcing properly uh, after the coronation. Mm-hmm. We're just going to hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I just can't, <laughs> I just can't wait. I can't wait for women. Women feel emboldened at the moment. They, they watched what happened in New Zealand. Mm. Um, many of them watched, really thinking that I probably wasn't going to come out of that alive. And I think they're a little bit like, right, okay, it's time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's time to do this. Mm-hmm. And so we have to take it into the political arena. Mm-hmm. Just because you mentioned New Zealand, there's one thing I wanted to ask, which I forgot to ask earlier, which is, are you going to take any legal action against your attackers? Yeah, well, he's he's been charged, as I understand. There's a warrant out for his arrest. And I'm now going to deal with a, a couple of officers to, because apparently I have to make, I have to ask them to charge him or arrest or whatever. There's some legal thing in New Zealand that it can't be on somebody else's behalf. So I will pursue that because I think uh, that would be a good message. Plus, it keeps it in the media in New Zealand. And the longer it's in the media, uh, the more people are finding out about it. Mm. And they're simply saying no. And the more it provokes the conversation, and yeah. people actually have to try and work out for themselves what's going on. Mm. Great. My last question would be um, and a simple one. What do you want? What, at what point would you feel like you've achieved what you need to achieve to feel like uh, mm. it, things are right again? Uh, there's a number of things. Number one, I would like all government sort of arms, whether it's education, the police, uh, the NHS, the judiciary as a whole, I would like all of them to get out of the business of telling women what we can and cannot say. And I would like them to stop indoctrinating children and I would like them to stop, you know, the police. I've been involved with the police on five occasions now over this issue. I would like the police to be totally... Uh, neutral again (laughs) and we stopped telling these lies I would like the GRA to have evaporated into thin air and that people are embarrassed to ever say they endorsed it Uh, and lobby groups and and money out of government so it's just simple I just would like to get back to a place of common sense and truth which maybe we were never there but I didn't know about it Uh, so back to the point where uh, women could say a woman is an adult human female without fearing some sort of retribution <laughs> mm. well kelly j keen thank you so much for speaking with me and uh or i should posey parker of course as you know uh, thank you for taking the time uh, in this chaotic hectic time and uh particularly of the last couple of weeks you've had it's astonishing i'm very grateful for it and i'm sure listeners will have found that fascinating thank you so much thank you so much 